Happy New Year, and welcome, welcome, welcome again to another season of us and you together looking at the Psalms. We are just delighted that you've decided to join us in 2024 as we are doing a bunch of activities. You all know, as we said last week, this is a special week for us because our unbelievable series is happening. And so if you're watching us later on, uh, make sure that you're connecting. We've got some special things during the week for that unbelievable series. If you're uh, viewing from home, there's a prayer line that'll be open. There's a lot of interactive stuff that we're doing for those of you who can't be here. Those of you who are here, make sure you join us. It's every week we've got a fantastic music plan, great messages, and some of our colleagues on the staff have been working on some ancillary stuff, some stuff before and after the services, so that you truly, truly start the new year with an experience of what it means to be connected to God in deep and meaningful ways. Now, I've got my co-host and my colleague, Joey O. We are set to go. We're set to talk about the Psalms and kind of this introductory uh, session. But before we do that, you know what comes next. Uh, two things. Number one, they've asked me to simply remind you that if you are finding what we are doing helpful to your uh, spiritual growth and development, and you want to consider being a partner, a financial partner with us uh, throughout this new year, go ahead and uh, on your website, louc.org, go and click give. And you can either give to two places now. You can give either to the Adult Sabbath School budget or to our media budget. Uh, the Adult Sabbath School budget goes to uh, help us provide ancillary materials such as lessons for people both here and out of our area. And our media budget goes to help us, uh, to help pay for some of the costs of the production, as well as our amazing, amazing team who is going to Sundance soon, uh, which is going to be fantastic. We're very excited uh, that they get to continue developing their skills and honing who they are. That was a mouthful. The other thing that we wanted to make sure you do, I said there were two, is bow your heads and pray with me. God, thank you for your blessings for a 2024 uh, that is, well, it's a year that is moving in a way uh, that that is bringing us new ways of understanding and connecting with you an unbelievable look at what the gospel is so we want to thank you for that we want to ask uh, that you continue to bless us that you stay with our conversations we pray all these things in your name amen, amen. joey welcome happy new year happy new year to you so excited about the unbelievable series that we're in the middle of and just our ability to start together mm. um, as a church community focused on Jesus. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah it's going to be, it really, really is uh, transformational. And all this stuff that is going on in the campus, as you know, it's uh, the school started this past week. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, we usually here at Loma Linda, we start uh, the week with a spiritual emphasis week. And so, uh, the uh, library team is working both on that in the morning. So there's meetings uh, that are geared to our student body every morning. 
throughout this week and then uh, meetings that are geared towards our community uh, in the evenings uh, with music and some hosting and then some wonderful, wonderful messaging. And then I know you are uh, in charge of overseeing some other things that are happening mm. uh, outside of the meetings, which we're very excited about because we hear there's opportunities to connect uh, for those of you who are in the area and are actually attending these meetings live. Yeah, we're really excited about the ability to broadcast the entire series online mm -hmm. through our various channels um, because it it expands the reach of this message to those that who would not be able to come in person. But there's nothing quite like the in-person mm -hmm. experience, right? Being in the room, singing together, praising God together, worshiping together, learning together. And then afterwards, we'll be having some community time mm -hmm. with um with some hot drinks for people to mingle, time, lights, music, things like that for people to connect and spend a little bit of time. We know that it's during the week when people have to get back home for work and school and all of those things, but just a little time to connect after as well. Yeah, the connection is really, really important. So if you are online, if you are one of our uh, <clears throat> virtual viewers, we do have some experiences that you can participate on. Uh, and in uh, our prayer line will be open and will be on and so you can experience community in that way every day after the meetings uh, you can uh, call and the number is located again on our website LOUC click on prayers uh, it, it'll say prayer gatherings and prayer times there's a phone number there that you can dial and uh, that will be open mm -hmm. every every day throughout the week. And so it'll give you an opportunity. Maybe you won't have the hot drinks, but you can make yourself a nice cup of tea and connect virtually with people throughout the country and throughout the world that are viewing uh, our gatherings and our sharing and just having some time for communion. Uh, some of us hopefully will we'll hop on uh, a couple times uh, through the virtual piece so that you're connecting with us as well. Yeah, very excited. Um, excited to see what God will do. Yeah, absolutely. This. So let's talk about Psalms. Um, I, fe I felt that it's important, perhaps uh, as we as we start a new quarter, to just give us some grounding uh, mm -hmm. in, in what the book of Psalms is, in how to read it, in kind of how it's divided. Um, and then uh, talk a little bit about maybe some of our favorite Psalms. And then we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but it, just so that you get your mind right, uh, just picture this, this time together as kind of this introductory space. So that when we're approaching now the book as a whole, uh, we, we all have a, just a better uh, way of, of reading it and understanding it. Yeah, sounds good. I'm excited. Okay, so first and foremost, Psalms. Uh, Psalms, that, it's, it's an interesting word, right? Because the, the word itself comes from the Greek and it, it means, uh, the, it, it, it refers to an instrument. Mm. But the original uh, language in, in Hebrew, the book is, uh, the close connection or the meaning of the book, if you, uh, of the title of the book in Hebrew is simply the book of praises. Yeah. And so it's, it's fascinating that we are actually entering into 150 uh, ways, different ways of praising mm -hmm. God that occupy the, myri the myriad of human experiences that we have. Yeah, and that's the that's the really cool thing about the Book of Psalms is that <clears throat> the central theme is this idea of praising God, mm -hmm. but it's not only praising God during good times. Mm -hmm. 
but in all seasons of mm -hmm. life. And finding ways to praise God when you feel surrounded by your enemies mm -hmm. and when you feel discouraged and when, you, when you're when you experiencing loss. Mm -hmm. All of those different human experiences, all those different, different human emotions are present in the Psalms. And yet the theme that runs throughout them all mm -hmm. is this praise of God mm -hmm. and what that can look like in all those different times of our lives. Yeah, and so Joey, I've, the really interesting thing is uh, Walter Brueggemann did this, I wish I could take credit for it, mm. but Brueggemann who wrote a really extensive and actually quite accessible commentary on the Psalms, uh, divides the Psalms I think in, in the best way that I've found or that I've seen. And um, it has to do with, at least as he calls them, psalms of orientation psalms of disorientation mm. and then again psalms of reorientation and the example for these psalms of disorientation and reorientation and then orientation uh emerges and it peeks its head through throughout the psalm so for example psalms of orientation any psalm that has to do with what we call the song the book of ascents right mm. so those songs that people would sing on their yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and you can find those. Uh, I'll just pick one uh, at random here. Uh, let's here we go. Uh, Psalm 130, Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who is maker of heaven and earth. I picked that one because that was particularly short. Um, <laughs> but these are psalms. These psalms of orientations are psalms that uh, exemplify and highlight the majesty of who God is. And you would sing these obviously as you're moving into or going into Jerusalem. I know, I, and I love I love the role that music played in in Israelite worship, mm. right? That it was so central to their worship experience, and to a certain extent, um, I think sometimes in the more how do I say it, uh, the more logical approach to to scripture and to understanding God, um, the ra rational mind approach, we sometimes downplay the, the power of music. Mm. And that has been, and that, that's not just pointing to certain religions, but my personality lends more towards a didactic approach to studying mm -hmm. scripture. But I've, in my later years, I've appreciated more and more this um, musical approach, this creative approach, this emotional approach to to connecting with God that's found throughout the Psalms. And um, I think we do a disservice uh, to ourselves if we don't also connect with God, not just rationally, but also emotionally. Mm. And that's very present in the book of Psalms. And that emotional approach uh, that you are connecting to the aesthetic experience of music, I think mm. finds its apex in the Psalms of disorientation, as mm. Brugman calls them. Nowhere is that, I think, best expressed than in Psalm 137, mm. uh, which uh, our, our former colleague here, Tyler Stewart, preached a very moving sermon on that mm. uh, a few years ago. Uh, but it, I think that was the first and last sermon on 137 that I've heard, uh, because it has to do. It begins with these, with this lament. Mm. It's the song of lament, right? By the rivers of Babylon, we gathered and wept. 
And it the whole the whole psalm is intended to capture and give you a snapshot into the microcosm of the Jewish mind as they are grappling with the devastating experience of having to rationalize uh, a belief in a God that is all-powerful and the reality of exile in Babylon. Yeah. So the Psalms of disorientation are the Psalms where we are left reeling Mm -hmm. and sort of at a loss for how to reconcile our experience with our knowledge of a good and gracious God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, that also is included in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And that's so beautiful because so much of our human experience does, does um, encompass those times of disorientation and those times where we're sort of caught off balance mm-hmm. and don't know, don't know how to found, find our feet. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the fact that people... Uh, with within Israel's psalm book that there is a space carved out for these ups for these experiences as you say that are upsetting uh, our cosmology the way we look at life and the fact that that there is a space for that kind of discourse within praise is I, I don't know I feel there's two emotions that I feel uh, first I feel scared mm. uh, you all know how this psalm, and if you don't, uh, you can go and, and read it yourselves, how the psalm ends. Mm. It, it doesn't end in this kind of restoration of Israel or the restitution of their faith. Mm. It ends with words of revenge and, and vengeance, right? <laughs> Happy are those who seize your infants and dash their heads against the rocks. <laughs> um, the end. <laughs> the so it's petrifying that that one can have a space for that discourse within a church because we know that mm. faith language has often been uh, weaponized and used to justify violence on the other hand there is something refreshing about having the capacity to allow god to see the depths of anger and sadness and unbridled anguish uh, that we have. So I think that's what's powerful in in the Psalms of disorientation. That yes, there is something frightening about language that can be weaponized to justify violence, but there is also something freeing about the fact that in our discourse, uh, we we allow for even those aspects the the shadow side of creation, as Emil Brunner says, to emerge. And uh, if you don't uh, acknowledge that those emotions are present in us, then it's very difficult uh, to make peace with them, to combat them, or even to find healing. Yeah. I mean, there is within the Christian faith, I think, a discomfort with anger and mm-hmm. how to express anger and how to receive someone's anger right but when i am hurt when someone deeply hurts me and i respond with anger in that moment what i need most is not someone to sit there and say well you need to mitigate that anger Mm -hmm. you know um let god let god control things so that so so that you don't have to be angry like vengeance is mine says the Mm. lord and all all of those things those things are helpful later on Mm -hmm. but when i'm in the throes of that anger 
there is a need to just sort of express it and have safe places where I can express that, that kind of anger. When someone has murdered someone I love mm. or when someone that um, I've, I, I've cared deeply about has betrayed that, that love, it, in those kinds of moments, what you need most is not just, not just logic and ration, rationality. You need someone to just receive that anger. And what I find beautiful about the laments is that God does that. God does that. He receives our anger and he doesn't spend that moment immediately just correcting it. He actually takes that anger and lets us less lets us lament, lets us vent, right? Um so that we can work through that anger. Now that's not to say that we should always act on that anger mm. in, in the violent in the most violent ways that we feel in the moment. Of course not. But but there is a need for us to have spaces where we can vent and we can release that anger um, and, and have a safe space to do it. And the fact that it's canonized in scripture, like those moments for people are canonized in scripture, sh tells me that it's safe for me to do that to God. And I think that's beautiful. I was, I was listening as, as you spoke and then... Uh, as you did, my mind kind of was trying to find uh, this passage, um, and what you—the way you said it—is just—it's just so beautiful, um, because it, it seems like praise is a place where you can process pain, mm. and that takes a lot. I mean. It, it speaks a lot, not just to who God is, but to a community that, that as you say, canonized this. Mm -hmm. um, that they were felt confident enough, both in their relationship with God and in their relationship with each other, that there was space, the space necessary to be vulnerable and to explore uh, the depths um, uh, of pain. And I think your your diagnosis of what the purpose of the psalms are, is uh, is spot on mm -hmm. um, if this is where the psalm the psalmist ends then it's not helpful mm. i think that's why brugman does such a wonderful job in kind of painting this ebb and flow right orientation disorientation reorientation mm. Because you'll have this, this place, uh, praise as a place to process pain, but that's not where you stay. Mm. Uh, so I was thinking about uh, a psalm that could reflect that aptly, as you, that could reflect kind of what, what you're saying aptly. Mm. And my mind um, kind of immediately was drawn. I didn't remember if it was 28 or 38. And so I was kind of uh, trying to... Uh, both listen to what you were saying, which was so uh, apropos, but also kind of read the words. And it is, it's 38. It says, mm. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Mm. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. Mm. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. This sounds, mm. and it starts in disorientation. It starts... 
uh, with the psalmist saying, I am pierced because of my sin. Your wrath is upon me. But it doesn't end there. Um, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me. Come quickly and help me, my Lord and my Savior. So whereas disorientation ends in this, uh, this space that is uh, inconclusive, it's just a it's just a pinnacle of pain. Hmm. Uh, reorientation ends with the recognition that after you process pain, there's there needs to be a space for petition. Hey, God, come quickly and save us. We we are in pain, but we still believe that uh, petition is the most appropriate way uh, to to overcome pain. So yeah. it's it's just a powerful, powerful. Uh, grouping of all these human experiences that we have. Yeah, that's really well said, because what you what we see in in many of the laments is that there is an element also of trust, mm-hmm. right? Even though even though I'm going through, it's it's like the prayer of of the of the Hebrews, the three Hebrews, in the before they're cast into the fire, right? They say, you know, God can deliver us from this, but mm. even if He does, if he, even if He doesn't. We, we know that he is. So there is this, this trust that runs despite the disorientation, despite mm-hmm. the reeling, the, the anchor that the psalmists, the writers of these psalms hold on to is the fact that still mm-hmm. God is worthy of our trust. Mm-hmm. And that becomes the anchor. And you see that with Job in very mm-hmm. real life situation, right? He's reeling, he's angry. You hear it in his words over and over again, but there's still a firm trust in God. Mm. And which is part of the reason why he's angry, right? Because he believes in a good God and he doesn't understand what's going on. And so that's why he's angry. He's like, did I do something wrong? Did somebody, like, I, I, did, I can't think of anything I did wrong, but this is not the God I know that would allow this. So there is this this reeling because of his trust in the goodness of God. And um, I, I love that, that, that in that reorientation space, what, what keeps us um, anchored despite all the waves that are tossing us around is that trust that God will mm-hmm. still come through. Mm-hmm. And that I trust God enough that I'm willing to express, be honest about what I'm feeling, honest about the, the anger that I'm experiencing. Mm. Even when my anger is directed at God mm. himself, I can be that honest with him. Mm. Like like in the Psalm 38 mm-hmm. that you that you pointed out, even when my anger is directed on at God himself, I can be that. When my anger is directed on other people, God's children, and I, I just want to slaughter them, <laughs> just <laughs> I can be that honest with God, knowing that 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 God is still good enough to receive that and help us to process mm. and, and walk through it. Mm. I love your phrase, praise is the place of processing. Um, I, I think that's that's so powerful. And I think what you're saying just just it reminds me of um, and we're going to talk about the structure of, of, of Psalms and how you read uh, Hebrew poetry in a second. But I, I kind of want to uh, want to echo what you what you just said in the sense that there is trust that God will come through. But there's also a willingness to accept mm. that the coming through of God doesn't mean the restoration mm. of yeah. either our ourselves or our nation or our family 
or our kingdom or whatever whatever is causing the disorientation yeah um it seems and that's i think why i want to go back to the comment you you made at the outset where you're saying look sometimes for for people that are deep that that are didactical uh and deeply rational poetry and music uh seem counter that that language seems counterintuitive um think about i think my favorite song at least and there's many that that you could you could choose my favorite is uh the song that that david writes after nathan rebukes him mm-hmm. um for his sin with bathsheba and the reason why i love that psalm is it shows both it shows rawness responsibility and redemption mm-hmm. so it shows the rawness uh of a man who has recognized what sin is mm-hmm. It also shows responsibility from a man that understands that sin has very real and painful consequences yeah. and that restoration can never mean uh, escaping those consequences. Yeah. Right? But then there's the hope of redemption. Uh, cleanse me anew. Mm. And... Um, it's not it's not the prayer uh, that my children pray. Mm. It's the prayer that someone who has been in the pit prays. Yeah. It's the prayer of someone who has experienced sin and mistakes mm-hmm. and brokenness and then has seen what grace does. Yeah. It's the prayer of of someone that has scars and who's who carries that 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 pain and that brokenness and that angst with him or her wherever they go but in spite of that mm. there's something new that is created so it's not the restoration of the reorientation is not the restoration of that which was old is the re, it's it's to orient yourself to some towards something new um, where you're experiencing god maybe in a different way yeah ch- sin changes things um, i like to say that sin leave scars mm-hmm. right and when we get a scar when we get a cut there is healing that happens but the hand the, the thing that was injured is never exactly the mm-hmm. same right i injured my um my rotator cuff and no matter how much it heals it's never exactly the same there's mm-hmm. still scar and scar tissue that remains and sin does that sin leaves scars and we see that throughout scripture that Yes, God steps in. When, when God's people um, leave him, disaster strikes, God steps in and rescues mm. them. But there's still marks. There's still scars. And that's the thing that the Israelites struggled with when they came back from exile. Because they thought, mm-hmm. oh, restoration means the restoration of the Davidic kingdom Mm -hmm. right like everything's going to be as it was at the pinnacle of our our history we're going to surpass that we're going to be the temple is going to be even more glorious than solomon's temple you know the city is going to be the center of jerusalem is going to be the center of the world like all of these things and it was never that and there is there is there's a lot of there's a lot of um discomfort a lot of confusion that we see in the latter prophets um, in the book of Ezra, Ezra mm-hmm. um, and Nehemiah about the fact that things are never quite 
back to what they expected them to be because sin leaves scars. And so this one track that we were on, we're never going to be on that track. It's, it's, it's a different track. And that's the same thing with all of the human race. If we had never sinned, life would be very different than it is now. And even after the restoration, even after Jesus comes a second time and remakes the world, we do know there's still going to be some scars. I mean, we, we talk about how Jesus still has the scars on his hands. So literally, he, he'll carry those scars for eternity, right? So there, there, there's going to be some, even after restoration, even after full restoration, there is still an impact and a mark that sin leaves. Um, which is why God doesn't want us to sin, right? He doesn't want us to sin. That's why Paul says, should we sin so that grace may abound? He says, heavens, no, no, no by no means, because he knows that sin leaves scars. And that's not to say that, you know, we can't ever come back from sin because there's always that restoration available to us. But undergoing that sin will leave marks on our soul, leave marks on us that we will, we will carry. For the rest of our lives even into eternity yeah yeah they're, they're, the marks are there and i think what i love about music and poetry is that music and poetry or art has the capacity of because its inclination isn't rational its mm. inclination is aesthetic mm. A musician, a poet, a painter has the capacity to extricate beauty mm. from places where uh, those of us who are more didactic or more rational, we say, well, there's no beauty there. Um, one of my favorite things to, to, mm. to see online now is um, there's, uh, there's kind of this new movement of, of artists and uh, that are that are taking uh, scars, mm -hmm. literal scars, and they're integrating those into body art. Mm. So you go to an artist and you say, "Hey, I've got this this disfigurement in my arm or my leg or my back or wherever it is," and rather than try to kind of wipe that away or do um, uh, plastic surgery or laser therapy what these what these artists do is they they try to utilize uh, the scar in order to create something that that mm. that to you and to me is aesthetically pleasing and to see that transformation is just really powerful yeah. I think it's a really powerful metaphor yeah. for what art does so yeah. here David is after this brutally brutally horrible act that he has committed, uh, that is left, I think, marks in on on both on him, on his character, the way he perceives himself, uh, the way he is perceived by others. Uh, I mean, his child dies for Pete's sake. It, it's it, it's marks all around, and yet mm. he is able to take that and put it in a hand in the hands of the ma master artist, mm. and writes this this prayer yeah. that. I don't know. I've I've repeated it when I've made when I've had mistakes in parenting or mistakes in school or mistakes mm. at home. And I mean, I've never murdered anyone. And uh, but but I find so much comfort in that. And I know that uh, the pastor and the prisoner in 
in literal jail who has been accused of these horrific acts can pick that up and say, there's redemption. Yes. So I, I think that's something that is that is really yeah. powerful. And that's why I think it only can be set to music. Yeah. Because art does have the capacity to take these marks uh, that are painful and and then you, you create something beautiful with them. Yeah, I love that. That actually reminds me of a Japanese art form mm -hmm. where they take broken pottery mm -hmm. and then they they put it back together in a way that it's arguably even more beautiful mm -hmm. than the original, right? But the fact that the fact remains, it's still different. It's different. Yeah, it's it 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 has its own beauty, mm -hmm. but it's a different kind of beauty right. than the original pristine, uncracked for, form was. And and that's 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 what God does for mm -hmm. us, right? He, um, when we say that God works all things for the good, it doesn't mean that every the good is exactly like it was before. But it does mean that our broken choices, our broken lives, God puts it back mm. together into, like you said, the master artist puts it back together into a beautiful form. Um, but it is different. It's absolutely different. Than what was before. And it requires trauma, mm. right? And so I, I think what, what we're both saying is, uh, yes, uh, the tr God doesn't want us to experience the trauma that comes in that creative process process mm. um but once the trauma is there uh the question is what do we what does god do with mm. it and uh god's answer is to utilize that as you said and as i think paul says in uh in in a prophetic way to use that trauma to create beauty and redemption um, and that's the power of poetry uh now near eastern poetry is different mm. than the poetry that that we have and and yeah. uh, i got into um as part of my as part of my doctoral program they kind of divided us up and they said hey okay uh we're gonna try to open or unlock these pieces of you that that maybe um you don't you don't you you're not as comfortable facing hmm. and for me it was uh the creative emotional process because i like I like structure. Um, I like uh, just to look and to see um, something coming together in, a, in an organized, structured way. And so when uh, when I when I, they said, "Well, we want everybody to to write a poem," so I looked at the meter and the metric structure and uh, kind of making sure that we followed. Uh, and I, I turned in what was uh, what I thought was something fairly fairly good and my professor said no no you uh we don't we want you to write a haiku uh, mm. because what a haiku does um is a haiku violates most of the western rules uh, of poetry yeah um and it forces you kind of to to see beauty again to see that creative process differently mm. that's the psalms so you're not going to find them rhyming yeah uh but whereas a haiku you balance the the beauty and the the rhythm is is based on the number of syllables mm. in in your eastern literature it has to do uh, with the echo mm -hmm. uh so you'll have you'll hear a phrase and then uh, just read the psalms pick your psalm and then see if you don't hear an echo of that phrase throughout the psalm whether affirming 
mm-hmm. or whether uh, just uh, being completely, completely the opposite. But you do have, that's how Near Eastern poetry is created. It's this, uh, it's this echo process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is it's heuristic. It'll start with, uh, often start with a question or with a problem mm-hmm. and then lead you through this process of self-discovery. Uh, again, that's not mine. <laughs> Herman Gunkel, who's an Old Testament scholar and did a lot of work both on the Psalms and on Near Eastern uh, literature, kind of discovered because we were asking, well, okay, this is poetry and this is music. How does it rhyme? Where's, where's like the, where is the metric structure of, of the book? And, and Gunkel said, well, you got to start thinking about poetry in different ways, which I think is a really helpful way to understand the Psalms. But it's also a really helpful way to live life. Yeah. You just gotta start understanding poetry in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And poetry, it, it accesses, a diff- accesses a different part of our brain, mm-hmm. right? The imagery that he, they use, like you said, in uh, Western poetry, we use a lot of rhyme and rhythm, uh-huh. right? For our poetry. Um, the meter is very important. In Hebrew poetry, it's a lot, like you said, the echo, the parallelisms, the mirrorisms, as they talk about in the lesson, right? The various imagery that they use. Um, and that's why, you know, I, poetry is one of the hardest things to translate. I know you, you speak Spanish, but it, trying to translate poetry from one language to another is very challenging mm-hmm. because there is so much interpretation and often they use words that will use multiple mm-hmm. meanings and there isn't the same word mm-hmm. available in in a different language that has the same variety of meanings um, like they talked about here there is this idea of um, the this they'll have words that sound similar to each other and and repeat it that and some of that gets lost and yet I, I do think that the translators of the Psalms have done beautiful job, a, a beautiful job capturing a lot of the of, of the meanings of of the Psalms, and so I think that's that's powerful. But I, one thing I like to do, especially when I read the Book of Psalms, is to read it in multiple translations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not able to read it in in the original language, doing that helps to capture a little bit more of mm. the essence of the Psalms, I, I think. Yeah, so that's, and, and that I think is key, not just for uh, poetry, but for any, any text. Because after all, um, what we have in, in our Bibles, particularly in the Hebrew, is already a translation of uh, something that that, uh, that we don't have. Mm-hmm. So you have... Uh, the Old Testament, what we have is the Masoretic text, which has uh, vowels, uh, Hebrew, uh, at least the Hebrew that was spoken in, in the Old Testament, was a, was a guttural language. It was written without vowels. So even there, there's one layer mm. of interpretation, and then you're having another layer of interpretation added when you're translated from, when you're translating it from the Masoretic to the English. So whatever part of the Old Testament you're reading, we always recommend several uh, several versions. But look at Psalm one and see if you don't you don't hear these echoes mm-hmm. or these these parallelisms or this mirror imagery. Mm. Blessed uh, are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, echo, or stand in the way of the sinners, echo, or sit in the comp in the company of mockers. Mm-hmm. So instead of just reading it and saying, okay, what? Uh, what life lesson is the psalmist trying to teach me? What, what I want you to do is just picture 
the process, uh, the poetic process by which it, by which through which the psalmist is leading, mm. uh, he is saying, "Blessed," uh, which is uh, this this Baruch construction, which is uh, is very common in Hebrew, and then he has walking, standing, sitting. Yeah. And that's where the echo is. Yeah. And uh, what, what is so powerful, and if you see it, um, it has to do uh, not just with the action of uh, standing, uh, walking, or I should say walking, standing, and sitting, but it has to do with uh, the approach uh, that you are going to have towards uh, what the sinner or the mocker or the wicked are doing, right? Mm. Uh, it goes from kind of not fully attentive as you're walking to more attentive as now you're standing face-to-face -face engaged to now fully attended as you're sitting. Mm. And so it's almost as if through the, through the use of language, the mm -hmm. psalmist is teaching you the truth that to surround yourself uh, with people that don't share the same moral values uh, is going to have a corrosive impact on your life. But that corrosive impact isn't going to be experienced immediately. It's going to happen through a process mm. uh, where your morals and your ethics begin to begin to shift. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And you see that in the, the imagery that's happening. Like even if you picture it in your mind, you can see there's a process. Like right. you said, there's a journey that you take from from being someone who oh they're cap capturing me in the hall as i'm right. walking down and then i stop to actually listen right. to them and then i sit down and i'm fully engaged right. that that imagery that happens and then it, pretty soon like all three show you that's like pretty much your whole life Correct. right your whole your whole life is encompassed by wickedness right that that process that begins small but leads us to greater depth right. i love that that's beautiful and then what's the what's the response mm -hmm. uh, that the psalmist that the psalmist crafts through this through to this sin process? Well, it's also poetic, right? Because he goes and now he says, "But those who delight in the Lord," uh, so you know, delight is kind of this. Oh, I'm happy. I'm joyous. This uh, this feeling of contentment. Mm -hmm. And then he says, "Oh, but but it's not just delight." Mm -hmm. They meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Yeah. So it's it's now it's not just that this is giving me joy. It is that this is like the very oxygen I breathe. My my I breathe. My orientation now is pointed or moved towards the law of the Lord. And then they are like streams planted in by they are like a tree plant planted by streams of water which lead fruit in the season and leaf does not uh wither and they do whatever they do prosper so now and for uh within jewish imagery the right the image of the tree is really important because it's central to the ecosystem mm. of of a jewish landscape uh these trees that are planted by streams become kind of a fortress for for everyone of, around them for birds for uh, for animals, um, they're central now, not just individually, but to the to the life and the well-being of a community. So joy leads to orientation, which leads to wealth, not only individually but for the whole community. And so it's 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 
it's kind of this mini chiasm in the sense that um, you kind of wickedness leads you through this process where you are becoming more engulfed and then uh, you reach the point of full immersion and then the chiasm begins to descend and you have uh, joy which then leads uh, to meditation which then leads to wealth for the community yeah so even with the the opposite direction Correct. there is a journey there Correct. is a process you start with delight but you end up with meditation and you know it kind of shows what you're talking about when you say this idea of echoes right echoes are important in in jewish poetry those echoes mean that the echo is not exactly the same as the original mm -hmm. right it is <clears throat> there is variation and in the variation you see a little bit of the direction that the psalmist mm. is trying to take us by looking at the variation between walking and standing and sitting the variation between the delight and meditate they're not just repeating the exact same concept Correct. in the exact same way the variation is important Correct. it's not just oh we're just going to repeat it for repeating its sake right. that there is something that's being communicated in that echo and so then we said it's not just echoes it's heuristic heuristic is a it's a genre of literature where you're kind of trying to figure out the answer on your own or the answer is going to reveal to be revealed and the question as you're saying this is a journey and the question that that needs to be asked is which journey hmm. leads uh, which journey produces and leads to to eternal life which journey leads to something that is long-lasting and uh, that you, that is firm and that you can that you can hold on to and then in just a stroke of brilliance right um hmm. it, it the the author switches to to language of that which is eternal and that which uh, which is blown away hmm. uh like chaff yeah yeah I, I, and that you almost get this chiastic um, imagery mm -hmm. right you start with the wicked you go to the 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 wicked and then you go to the um, the righteous and then what happens to the righteous and then what happens to the wicked mm -hmm. and you get that imagery there even in the structure of that psalm because in verses four and five not so the wicked they are like chaff that the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous yeah so structurally then what we're saying just so that so that you caught what, what Joey's trying to say uh, verse 3 uh, which we let which we ended mm -hmm. uh, ends the journey of the righteous mm -hmm. and begins the chia the, the chiastic structure right because verse 3 mm -hmm. is connected to verse 4 you're kind of having these parallel mm -hmm. images uh, the righteous are trees the wicked are shaft yeah. so uh, that which is firm versus that which uh, is ephemeral and then you have the wicked and the sinners uh, versus the righteous mm -hmm. and so you you again you have you have that flip which is just brilliantly done just yeah. structurally I love um, I get to teach uh, once in a while wisdom literature and this is one of the, the Psalms we one of the texts we usually love to look at because at first uh, reading it's so simple and then you find so much nuance um, and we just we just touched on a couple uh, today that to just illustrate kind of the beauty of of the poetry and how you have 
uh, echo upon echo and chiasm upon chiasm. Yeah, and then it, it ends beautifully with verse 6, almost a synergy of everything, right. right? Summation of everything. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will be destroyed. Right. And that's that's the conclusion. Mm -hmm. we, we start with a question, what is that which is eternal? What is that which is long-lasting? What is that which is firm? And it ends by saying, the way of the righteous, the way of the Lord, that's eternal. Yeah. Uh, the way of the wicked, yeah. uh, that passes on. So yeah. just beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. And, and really the reason for this, the reason for writing poetry like this, is it's supposed to connect with us on a little bit of a deeper level. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to just think, oh yeah, logically, the way of the righteous is great and the way of right. the wicked is bad. It's supposed to evoke like a desire mm. within us, right? A desire to mm. follow the way of the Lord, mm. a desire to, that that it's not just a knowledge knowing, but it's a whole being mm -hmm. knowing, it's, it's experiential knowing that this is not going to work out right. It looks like the wicked are strong. It looks like the wicked are powerful. But we know, not just logically, but also emotionally, that this is not going to work mm -hmm. out for them. And ultimately, the way, I, I love how this is the first psalm, um, that the way of the righteous is the one that will lead us to prosper. Yeah, and that's uh, Psalm 1 and 2, the introductions to the whole book. Yeah. So it kind of, these two these two beginning psalms are the opening salvo in what the book is going to be. It's going to be kind of examining, as most wisdom literature does, uh, the complexity of life and then offering a potential solution uh, for life and all the emotions that life brings. So we're excited, 12 weeks of this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see you, you all next week. We hope you stay with us. Uh, we're going to do a lot of this this type of stuff. And the lesson, I think, will provide us some really, really good content. Uh, some some weeks, I, I foresee, we'll be uh, staying really, really close to the lesson. Other weeks, we'll, we'll kind of wander and, and just look at thematically and structurally how, how some of these psalms that the lesson invites us to consider are are written. So until next week, Joey, pray, pray us out, and then we'll see you next week. God bless you. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you so much for being a God who is trustworthy and true, that even in times of disorientation, in times of loss, in times of anger, that you are willing to stick with us and let us vent and process our anger through praise and then come to a place of reorientation with you again. So as we journey through the book of Psalms, help us to be honest with you about the emotions, about the experiences that we've gone through and open up to you as these psalmists have and help us to learn, grow, and be inspired by you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.